Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If you're finding your place there in God's Word, I want to welcome those who are joining us via our live stream, those worshiping with us at Reach Church DeSoto in the venue just down the hall. Thank you for joining us today. Last, or yesterday, yesterday morning, uh, we had a baby dedication. And if you've been with us for a long time, we used to do these on Sunday morning. Um, and I enjoyed that. But one of the things we missed when we did that was an opportunity for Faith and I to, to talk and get to know each one of those couples and, and to really challenge them on an individual level and then to see their family have an intentional time of gathering around and praying for their children. And so we've made a little bit of a change there. We've started doing these baby dedications on Saturday mornings and the family comes, it's a real time of celebration. But I want you to see these families. I want you to be able to rejoice with them because they're to be honored. As they seek to be intentional to raise their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, this is something the entire church should celebrate. So we've created a quick, quick video for you to watch to see these families. So let's watch that now. I love that little picture of Sawyer. Doesn't he look like a little old man, doesn't he? It's just so fun. Um, it's always a special time for us as a church family to join with these families, dedicate their, their children back to the Lord, dedicate themselves to that task. And if you would like to participate in uh, a baby dedication, uh, let us know. We, we call it Embrace now, and we um, do that on Saturday mornings. But if you'll reach out to us, uh, Jennifer Huddleston and uh, Brenda Engel do a wonderful job putting this together. You can contact them here at the church and they'll get you plugged in and, and let you know how you can be a part of that. Well, Ephesians 5, you'll notice we're not in Revelation. We will be next week. We'll pick up Revelation 20 and look at the millennial kingdom. And I tell you, I, this week, I, I would love to be talking about the millennial kingdom this morning, but we're gonna look in Ephesians 5, 21 through 24 and this was birthed out of me doing some discipleship with, with some, some men over the past year or so. And um, 
part of that discipleship is talking about uh, our marriages and, and what God has called us to do. And what I found with so many men is, in fact, I've stopped and said, has anybody, has anybody ever told you your role as a biblical husband? And so many of them said, nobody's ever told me. In fact, many of them said, where was this stuff 15 years ago when I was starting out? I could have avoided a lot of pain in my life. And it really broke my heart. And so from there, I decided, you know, I'm going to do something different on Father's Day this year. I'm going to preach on the biblical role of husbands on Father's Day. And then I thought, well, I can't address the husbands and not address the wives. And it sounded like a great plan a month ago. And then this week, I thought, Mother's Day, and we're going to talk about submission. That's going to be fun. Um, so we've locked the doors. No one can leave. Um, it's funny, uh, even in the, second, the first service earlier and then last night, um, last night especially, the men would hardly say anything as I preached. It was like they didn't know what to do. They were scared to death. They wouldn't laugh. There were no amening. Um, and then the early service, I realized some of the older men, they're a little more bold. But I'm just going to give like, a public service announcement to young husbands. Be really careful where you amen in this sermon, all right? You could be, it could be a bad week for you, all right? So that's just, I'm doing that out of the kindness of my heart. Try to avoid some pain in your life. Um, but uh, I'm so grateful Faith is here. Hopefully she'll still love me when we're done. And uh, so we'll jump right in here. The context, it's always difficult to jump into the middle of a book because I, that's why I prefer preaching through books of the Bible. You get the context and you understand what, what Paul or John or what they're, what they're dealing with and how they're going about it. But let me see if I can give you the context because it's important to see what Paul is doing in Ephesians. Paul, in, in this letter to the Ephesians, does what he does with almost every letter he writes. He begins with very deep theological, doctrinal truths because um, beliefs are always what drive our behavior. So the basis of all of our activity is deep theological truths. Probably no more deep theological chapter in all of God's word than Ephesians chapter one. It's a beautiful chapter, deep with truth. But if you were to boil down those first three chapters, in, which is very dangerous to do, and I tell you on the front end, this is overly simplistic, but the best I know how, those first three chapters, you could summarize them in this way, that, that Paul is talking about uh, the transformational power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's addressing, the transformational power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God has lavished grace upon us in Christ, and that lavish grace of God upon our lives, it transforms us. It changes us into new men and women, who are totally distinct from the world around us. That Christ changes everything for the believer. That there's not one sphere or area of our life where we as believers operate in the same way as the world. We're totally distinct. And then in the latter half of the letter, Paul gets very practical. I, I like to say nitty-gritty practical. He shows us how this is played out in the various spheres of our life. He talks about in the marriage relationship, wives to husband. He talks about in the home with children to parents. And, and then he talks about uh, slaves and masters, probably better for our context, employees and employers. But that's just about every aspect. We think about your marriage, your home, and then your workplace. You take out the hours you spend sleeping. That's pretty much all your life. And he shows you how the transformational power of Christ gets into everything. 
But when he begins with the practical session, he really deals beyond just your own individual life. He deals with marriage. The first institution ordained by God, the central building block of all human society, this institution of marriage. And is this message not practical and relevant for our day today? Uh, probably not since the time of Paul has marriage been held in such, a, in such a low regard. You know, even as I say that, um, this week I've thought that the great problem, though, we, we tend to moan and complain about the state of our culture, but the real problem is not the decay of our culture. The real problem is that we as Christians have lost our distinctiveness. We've lost our holiness. Uh, you take uh, two believers that know Jesus and they're married and you line up, up against a couple that's non-believers in so many places, there's, they're almost indistinguishable. We've lost our distinctiveness. And the fact of the matter is, it's only the Christian who truly and completely understands marriage. And this is the wonderful part about being a Christian is that Christianity doesn't, doesn't just deal with your soul and your eternal destination. It touches every area of life. There's nothing more wonderful than to see the difference that Christ makes in a husband and wife relationship. I love seeing a couple who comes to know the Lord. It's almost as if they've discovered each other for the very first time. It's almost as if they've discovered marriage for the very first time. And if you're a Christian, there should be no difficulty in what marriage means. If Christ is truly Lord and you've submitted your life to him and to his word, there should be no argument, no hesitation. We cannot say, well, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't really believe that I can do. No, no, no. Because you've submitted your life to Christ. Listen, to everyone that's here, married, or anyone hopes to be married someday, either Christ is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And you can't say, well, Paul, he gets it right on atonement and salvation, but that stuff on marriage, outdated, it's not relevant anymore. Because the moment that you say that, you no longer believe the scriptures. And for us as believers, we know nothing apart from the scripture. We have no wisdom or knowledge apart from God's word. And so what I hope to do today, and I pray that, that you see, is that what we're going to do is look at the biblical pattern for marriage. This is not my opinion. This is not my preferences. This is not how I would have done it. This is what God said. This is his pattern. And at some point or another, let me just say this, quite frankly, every marriage, every individual for that matter, in this room today, at some point or another, you're gonna have to decide, is God's word true? Is it authoritative or not? You're gonna have to say, am I gonna believe the world? For the life of me, I still can't figure out why we as believers would wanna be more like the world. It's not like they're doing real well. You gotta decide, is God's word true? And if it is, will I live it? Will I obey it? Well, with that in mind, let's pray together, then we'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks so plainly on these critical issues. You've not left us in the dark. You've been very clear about this divinely ordained institution of marriage, and I pray that you would speak to us this day. God, I come very humbly. God, you must speak. Let every word of mine get no further than my lips but may your word go forth in power and change us all today that we might have lives and marriages that glorify you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We start in verse 21. It's necessary to start in 21. 21 and 22 are connected. 22 borrows the verb from verse 21. So they're connected. Look there in verse 21. It says, and be subject to one another 
in the fear of Christ. Now, in the specific context, Paul has been talking about what it means to be spirit-filled. That being spirit-filled, he'll talk about changes us verbally. It changes how we talk. It changes us musically. He talks about songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. That God loves music, doesn't he? God loves music, and God's people, when they're spirit-filled, they have a song in their heart. He talks about how this spirit-filled life changes us, uh, thankfully, that we become people of gratitude. That the people of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, we're just grateful people. And then he says that the, the spirit-filled life changes us submissively. That those of us who are dominated by the Spirit, we're a people who say, you first and not me. That through the power of the Spirit, we take the love that we naturally have for ourselves and we redirect it outwardly towards Christ and other people. And it's supernatural. And then he tells us the manner in which we do this. He says we treat each other with humility in the fear of Christ. Be subject to one another. In the fear of Christ, we operate this way out of a deep respect and reverence for Christ. And so Paul is setting the tone here that the basis of all of our interactions with other people in the body of Christ is not necessarily do they deserve it, but does Christ deserve it? Not do they deserve it, but does Christ deserve it? That we put the needs of other people above our own because Christ put our needs above his own. And his love towards us becomes our example. And it it enables us to see every relationship in a new light so that we don't object to his teaching, but we rejoice in it. We, We praise God for it. And that is why I often say that the basis of every solid, Christ glorifying marriage is two individuals who love Christ most. The most solid marriage is two individuals that are both submitted to Jesus Christ. How much better off would we be in all of our relationships if we began not with the attitude of a bowed neck that's protecting our rights, but if we started in all of our relationships with bent knees before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So Paul is is setting the tone This submission to Christ and to other people is to be the attitude and the atmosphere of the entire church. So it deals with all of us. All of us are to cultivate an attitude of submission. But then in verse 22, literally in the Greek, he says, wives, to your own husbands, as to the Lord. So wives, be subject to your own husbands, as to the Lord. So he's moving from general to specific. Everybody... And then he says to wives, you you specifically, you must cultivate an attitude of submission towards your husband. Now we gotta stop here and ask ourselves, what does it mean to to submit? My translation says, be subject. What does that mean? And I wanna ask you as best you can to throw out all of your presuppositions about submission because the, the fact of the matter is the world hijacked this term and they perverted it to the point that it's almost completely lost its, its biblical meaning, the beauty of this. And so we gotta ask ourselves, not what does the world say, what does God have to say? What is biblical submission? I wanna give you seven things. I don't like lists, you got a list this morning. I had 12, I whittled it down to seven so we wouldn't be here all day. But let me give you seven things about biblical submission. Number one, the focus is always on order. The focus is always on order. It's the word, uh, Greek word hupotasso, hupo under, tasso, order. Simply means to order, to arrange under. 
And no matter where it's used in Scripture, it's always emphasizing order because God is a God of order. Without order, you have what? Chaos. In every institution that God has designed, there's always order. You show me an organization without a clearly defined leader, and I'll show you an organization that's messed up. Someone has to lead. Now, let me speak politely to the ladies here. Most women, or most men, most men will not fight for the leadership of the home. If you wives take the lead, more often than not, your husband will let you have it. And you will find yourself married to a weak and defeated husband. And here's the deal. What is he supposed to do? It's not like he can arm wrestle you for it. It's not like he can race you in the yard. And he will be miserable. Proverbs 25, 24. It's better to live in a corner of the roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Proverbs 19, 13, the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. Wives, I pray that you know this today. I pray that you understand the power and the influence that God has given to you. I pray you understand the power and the influence that God has given to you. Every time the family is addressed in Scripture, every time, it always begins with who? The wife. Why? There's a lot of reasons, even here, there's a specific reason here in Ephesians, but I'll tell you more broadly why. Because as one person has said, the husband may be the head, but the woman is the neck, and the neck moves the head. Ladies, you have the ability to make your husband a greater man of God than he could ever possibly be on his own. Or... You have the ability to break your husband down until he is a broken, weak, and ineffective man. And you know what I found? Most wives don't want to be married to weak men. Lord, I really want a weak, puny man. And you know what? This is beautiful. God, in a very basic, simplistic way, the deepest need of every man's heart, of every husband's heart, is to be respected. We're gonna deal with husbands on Father's Day. The deepest need of every woman's life, wife's life, is to be loved. Wives, let me tell you something. The deepest need of your husband's heart is to be respected. So often, I deal with couples, I deal with a lot of men. They come to me broken. And oftentimes, I will look at that man and I would say to him, what, what would happen today if your wife came home and said to you, honey, I respect you. I respect you because you're trying to be a godly man. You're not perfect, but you're trying. And you're providing for our home, and you love me, and I respect you. And I say that to men, and to a T, every one of them, they start crying. And I'm not even their wife. It gets kind of awkward, to be real honest with you. <laughs> but it just goes to show you, wives, you have the ability to make your husband a greater man of God than he could ever be on his own. You demonstrate respect to your husband, you will watch him flourish. But let me also warn you, because our culture, you know what they do? Just watch TV. What is the husband? He's the butt of all the jokes. 
He's a bumbling idiot that can barely get by. And let me just say to you, now I am, my family, we joke around all the time, all right? We joke. I'm not saying you can't take a good joke. But listen to me, wives, if the attitude and the atmosphere of your home is one where the husband is always the butt of the jokes, he's a bumbling idiot, then here's my warning to you, and I'm gonna warn the husbands later on, but here's my warning to you. You may mock that man, but God will not be mocked. And what you sow, you may just end up reaping. Submission's all about order. Two, submission does not mean inferiority. 1 Corinthians 15, 28, Jesus, when all things have been submitted to him, will submit himself to the Father. To equate submission with inferiority in any way is to cast doubt upon the deity of Christ and his place in the Trinity. Submission in marriage does not mean that one person is superior to the other. God the Father, God the Son, they're equal, yet the Son submits to the will of the Father. In a similar way, the wife and the husband are equal, both made in the image of God, both equal in dignity and honor and value to the heart of God, no spouse superior to the other. And then a kind of million dollar question then becomes, then why did God make the husband a leader? I have no idea. There are a lot of times when I would prefer my wife to be the head because she's a lot smarter than me. But God in his sovereign plan has given the responsibility to me. And I will tell you, God did not make Adam and Eve at the same time. If he had done it that way, there would have been a jump ball for the home. There would have been a fight. And the wife would have said, I'm smarter than you, Adam. And he'd have said, well, probably so, but I'm stronger. And then there'd been a fight. And God will not leave the leadership of the home to a fight or a jump ball. He creates Adam. And if it's beautiful. I wish we had time to go there. But we already studied it not long ago in Genesis. But you remember, God creates Adam. And he gives him the responsibility to name the animals. And you remember, they bring the animals to him and he starts naming. And you know what God is doing? He's not just giving him responsibility to name the animals. He's creating loneliness in him. Because with all the animals, what does he see? He sees a male and a female. There's a counterpart. There, 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 there's a partner. And what does he realize? I got no partner. Me and the elephant ain't gonna work. And you know what God says? Take a nap. And God performs the first surgery. And he forms his wife from his side that she will be of his own flesh. That he will love her as his own body. And she is at his side, not above him, not below him, but at his side to be his partner with him in the mission that God has given to him. It's a beautiful picture. When we see God's sovereignty and his created plan, the reason a man loves his wife has nothing to do with the wife. It has to do with the sovereignty of God. The reason a wife submits to her husband has nothing to do with the husband. It has to do with the sovereignty of God. A wife doesn't simply respect her husband because he measured up this week. It's not like, well, I think he had three quiet times, and uh, yeah, I guess I'll respect it. You know, in fact, you don't do that... um, you don't do that to a police officer, do you? Hey, sir, I pulled you over. You're doing 70 and a 55. 
and you look at him and say, well, how many quiet times did you have this week? Because I'm not sure I'm gonna submit to you. No, you recognize him as an authority that God has ordained. Submission is only due to the Lord. I say that because, listen to me, there's not a man in this room who deserves the submission of his wife. Submission is only done for the Lord's sake. You look in scripture, Hannah was respectful towards Elkanah. I'm gonna read the story, he wasn't a saint. Sarah submitted her life to Abraham. Abraham was messed up. Mary and Joseph It's amazing to me. They come together, they have this child, they're married, they move forward. And and as it it always seemed to be occurring, God would speak to who? To Joseph. And every time they turned around, Joseph was saying, Mary, God told us to go over here. We gotta go to Egypt. Mary had another dream. I guess we're moving. All right, yep, we're going to Nazareth. And you never see Mary haggle with him. She says, behold, the bondservant of the Lord, meaning God. Who was she ultimately trusting? She wasn't trusting Joseph. She was trusting God who's sovereign. So often what I hear in dealing with couples is this. The wife will say, I'm not going to respect him because he don't love me. And then you look at the husband, he'll say, I'm not going to love her because she won't respect me. And I keep thinking, how's this going to work out? They're chasing their tails. One of you got to grow up and be mature at some point, or otherwise you're never going to get anywhere. They're trying to hit a, a moving target, and God says, you can't operate on the basis of opinions or performances. No, God says this institution is mine. It has to do with me. And you operate out of recognition of my good and perfect design. But submission does not mean inferiority. Thirdly, submission does not mean domination. Domination of another individual, another human being, is a sin. Did you hear that? Domination of another human being is a sin. And Christ came to remove sin. In the Christian marriage, both the husband and the wife are put to, the, to put the needs of their spouse above their own. Fourthly, submission is voluntary. You're never told to make someone submit. It's always voluntary. In the marriage relationship, a woman willingly places her life under the leadership of the man out of her reverence for God. I mean, the fact of the matter is if a woman does not want to submit, There's nothing a man can do. He's simply told to love his wife and trust God. That's it. Number five, submission is scary and hard. In Peter's epistle, Peter addresses the wives. And he says, submit without being frightened by any fear. Now, ladies, I don't know what it's like to be in your shoes, but I can only imagine that it would be a pretty scary thing to put your life in the hands of your husband's leadership. But listen to me, at the end of the day, it's not really a matter of trusting your husband, it's a matter of trusting God. 
that you say, God, I, I, I'm not sure about my husband's leadership, but I trust your leadership. And I trust that you're guiding him, and so I'm gonna trust you. One person has said submission is you ducking so that God can hit him. Um, but in many ways, that's what you're doing. You're saying, God, I trust you. You'll guide him. You'll correct him. And I think God has a pretty good track record of being faithful to those who trust him. Sixthly, submission does not mean silence. Submission does not mean silence. I am so grateful for my wife, Faith. She does not call me out in public. She doesn't chastise me in front of others. But this does not mean that there are not occasions when she calls me on the carpet on some things. There are times when she has to speak up and, and correct me. And she has a right and she has a responsibility to do that. Now, it doesn't always mean that I respond with gratitude. But listen to me. I'm grateful that on every occasion when she's sought to call me out, she's always sought to do it in a respectful way. That oftentimes it's something like, Chad, I, I hear what you're saying, but have you thought of this? Chad, there might be something you're missing right here. You need to look at this. You know, I, mean, I think about this somewhat in, an, in a military setting. Imagine if you got a lieutenant who goes to a colonel and he gets a command. He says, you knucklehead, dumb command. Probably not going to go real well for him. But what if that lieutenant comes in and says, Maybe there's some things you're missing here. I, I heard what you said, but maybe there's some things you're not, you're not considering as you do that. He still may not, no telling how it end, but I guarantee it'll be a whole lot better than if he came in and just uh, totally disrespected that person. I mean, I think about it here at the church. We get complaints. You know the ones I struggle with? When they begin the email by saying, this is the dumbest decision I've ever seen the church make. Thinking, well... I just dug my heels in. We ain't doing it. I don't care what the email says. <laughs> now I'm mad. But on the other hand, when somebody emails and says, I love this church. I love this place. And I'm so thankful for how you seek to lead. But can I just bring something to your attention that you may not have been aware of? And I say, what is it? This is probably something we need to listen to. You have, wives, you have an obligation to correct your husband, to call him on the carpet on certain things, but to do so in a respectful fashion. And let me be clear, submission does not mean that you blindly follow. You remember Ananias and Sapphira? Ananias lied about the price of the land that they had sold. And uh, then Sapphira comes in. And they say, Sapphira, did you sell it for such and such a price? What she should have said is, um, well, the thing about that, um, no, we didn't sell it for that price. Not sure what my husband told you. In fact, I don't know where he's at. Hopefully he's okay, but. Uh, <laughs> he 
He's a good guy, but he lies some of the time, and uh, that wasn't true. What does she do? She goes along with him, and she is culpable for her sin. There are times when you have to step up and say something, and if your husband won't listen, there are times you don't submit. If your husband is leading you into sin, don't go with him. If your husband is leading you to disobey Christ, immoral lifestyle, don't follow him. Follow Jesus. You may have to say to him, honey, I love you, but I love Jesus first, and I love him most. And when push comes to shove, you always go with Jesus. So submission does not mean that you blindly follow or remain silent. And just a side note here, submission also doesn't mean that you don't delegate and give freedom. And I speak openly with you. I'll tell you this, on a day-to-day basis, faith manages our house. I delegate that to her. I trust her. She manages our finances. We have talks about it on a regular basis, but I can barely do long division. I recognize the God-given strengths that God has given to her. She manages our boys' schedules. She gets all the things ready for that. And she does a wonderful job. And I'm so grateful for it. So it doesn't mean that you don't delegate to their strengths. And see the partner that God has given to you in the work he's called you to do. Seventhly and finally, submission is an expression of love. When I say this, I'm not saying that you have a warm, fuzzy feeling. I'm pretty sure that Jesus didn't have a warm, fuzzy feeling when he went to the cross. But he submitted himself to the Father, and it was definitely an expression of love. In fact, it was the greatest expression of love ever known to man. There will be times when you respect your husband and you're not going to have a warm, fuzzy feeling. You may not have a whole lot of love in your heart, but it will be an expression of love. May, and, and I'm not even talking about an expression of love to your husband. I'm talking about an expression of love to Jesus. Well, look back at our text very quickly. We're going to wrap this up quick. Kind of giving that understanding of submission, verse 22, Paul addresses married women. He says, the first thing I need you to know is this. You must develop in your home a a disposition of submissiveness. And then he tells us why in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. You know, it's hard to say, well, the first part of the letter deals with doctrine, the latter portion gets practical. No, doctrine is always interwoven into Paul's letters. And he's saying interwoven into all of this is a deep theological truth. There's a reminder here that one of the greatest purposes in marriage is giving the world a living, breathing example of what it means to belong to Christ. You've got to remember this in your marriage. It's so much bigger than you. That's the problem. We're so selfish. It's all about us. And you've got to remember in marriage, this is so much bigger than us as individuals. And wives, as you develop this disposition of submission and respect your husband, you're giving the world around you a glimpse of how all of us as God's people long to be submissive to Christ. That as you respect your husband, that you demonstrate that I want this man to be the head of my home. That I want this man to be my leader in that very context in your married life you're demonstrating the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're putting the power of the gospel on display so that your children see it, so that your neighbors see it, so that your friends see it, because they ask you, how in the world can you relate to your husband in that kind of way? And you're able to tell them it's because of Jesus who changed my life and has transformed how I see everything, including my husband. 
that there's something about this marriage bond in the Christian home that reflects the grace and glory of Christ like nothing else. Then look at verse 24. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. In everything. Now, we've already talked about the exception to this. If your husband is leading you to anything immoral, to disobey Christ, get out. Don't follow. But Paul says in everything. Why, why would Paul include that last phrase? Why, why, would he, why would he not just be general, just be respectful in general? Why in everything? Well, because he's talked about that marriage, the marriage relationship reflects our relationship to Christ. And listen, in our relationship to Christ, we know that if we're not submissive to Christ in everything, then we're probably not gonna be submissive to Christ in anything. And in the marriage relationship, we're to put others first. But the minute you begin to develop exceptions, you're not really putting that person first. You're putting you first. Because what you're really saying is that I'll put you first as long as it's convenient for me. I'll put you first as long as it's advantageous to me. And Paul says that's not what we're looking for. The love and respect that God calls us to in marriage says I'll put you first no matter what the cost. Even when it's not easy, even when I don't feel it, even when it's not convenient because that's the way Christ loves me. And I want this marriage relationship to be a picture of God's love. Let me see if I can boil this down as best I can. What Paul is saying is that I want your relationship to your husband to be such that your children can point to your marriage and say, do you want to know or want to understand what it means to be a Christian? It means that you look at Jesus the way my mom looks at my dad. Gets to husbands, it's that husbands, we operate in such a way that our children would say, do you, do you want to know what it's like to belong to Christ? It means you love Jesus the way my dad loves my mom. That's a high calling. There's nothing natural about this. Some couples might be more compatible than others, but at the end of the day, marriage is a marriage of two people who in a, multiple, a multitude of ways are incompatible with each other. Because the natural instinct of our flesh is what? It's me first. And in the institution of marriage, unlike any other institution that God has ordained, we as believers have the opportunity to demonstrate the transformational power of the gospel, to show the world there's a different way, not just different, but better and more excellent way. And it's a two-way street. The beauty of this is when it's displayed between two individuals that are sold out and submitted completely to Jesus Christ. Two people. That's why, husbands, you got to be back on Father's Day. You try to skip out, we will find you, I promise. We have your information. We will come get you. Because you got to get the counterpart to this. Because, husbands, let me tell you something. We have, we have the opportunity to make this really easy for our wives. When we live as God has called us to live. Now, let me speak very quickly to, to any lady who's seeking to be married. 
As you evaluate a man, here's the question that needs to go through your mind. Is this a man to whom I'm prepared to be submissive? Is this the kind of man that you're willing to submit your life to? Uh, So when you're dating, when you're courting, that's what you need to be discovering. Don't worry about how much money he makes. Don't, don't, Don't worry about his degrees. Don't worry about his IQ. Amen, husbands? Amen, yeah, don't, don't. Don't worry about that intelligence stuff. Don't, don't worry about whether or not he's handsome, although it's, re, it's a good idea to be physically attracted, all right? I don't want to diminish that, but I think all the men would say, men, don't worry about his looks, all right? Well, you need to be asking yourself, is that a man I'm willing to submit my life to? And if you have any, listen to me, you have any hesitation, you run. Because you will save yourself a world of hurt. That's the beauty of this. When it's lived out God's way between two people who are submitted totally to Christ, there's few things. It's a harmony. It's a symphony. It's glorious. It accentuates the gospel. But you try to do this your own way in your own sinful flesh, there's few things more hurtful in all the world. This kind of relationship's only possible through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you right now, you're probably saying in your heart, how can I respect a man who, who doesn't demonstrate love towards me? How can I respect a man who's not kind? How can I respect a man who seems to be so self-absorbed? How can I dis- uh, demonstrate respect when it feels like I'm being mistreated? Some of you husbands, we're gonna address the husbands, you're probably thinking to yourself, how can I love a woman who doesn't respect me? She shows not, I'm not even welcome in my own home. How can I love a woman who doesn't respect me? I'll give you the short answer to both those questions. You can't. Not on your own. But here's what you need to understand. God loved you when you didn't deserve it. And God loved you when you didn't want to have anything to do with him. God loved you when you rejected him. God loved you when you had no love for him. Aren't you glad that God's love for us is not based on our performance? And he loved you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for your sins to take your punishment because he loves you. And if you will turn to Christ, he'll forgive you. He'll lavish his love upon you. He'll place his Holy Spirit inside of you. He will change you. He will change you. He'll redeem you. And he can and he will change and redeem your marriage. But it starts with the vertical relationship of your life. So many times we think the problem is these relationships. Listen, when we're out of step in these relationships, it's to remind us that we're probably out of step with this relationship. I have a good friend, Michael, who says for far too long, he thought the problem was his wife. You pray, God, change that woman. And what he found out was she wasn't a problem. And he says it wasn't until God changed Michael that God changed our marriage. Let me tell you something. It works in both the men and the women. Oftentimes what you'll begin to do is you'll think, well, if I just got rid of this loser of a husband, it'll all work out in a better relationship. I've seen husbands do this. They start to think, boy, if I just had a better wife, 
the problem with that way of thinking is you leave her, you'll take the problem with you because the problem is you. It works by looking at yourself and where you're at in your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I say this often, but it's worth reminding you today because some people say, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm not, I've heard this before. Pastor, I think I married the wrong woman. Listen to me, if she's got your ring on her finger, she's the right woman for you. And wives, if he's got your ring on his finger, he's the right man for you. We have a hymn. Boy, it's a hard one. I could have got myself into a lot of trouble with the hymn on this. A man named Thomas Chisholm wrote a poem. He sent it to a friend of his, a guy named William Runyon. He was a musician. He lived in Baldwin, Kansas. Isn't that interesting? And he took the poem, composed the music, published it in 1923. It was kind of private, little private worship pamphlet that they would use at gatherings. And it remained that way until a professor at the Moody Bible Institute picked it up. And he picked it up and he started using it at Moody Bible Institute. And they said it really kind of became the theme song for the Institute for several years. In fact, do you know how they would end chapel? The, the professor who led chapel, he'd end with, do we have a hymn? Don't you like that? That's good. And often they said on so many occasions he would end with, do we have a hymn? And he would say, I think we need to sing Great is Thy Faithfulness. And as I thought about this this week and these things, I'm telling you, with much fear and trepidation to preach on this, praying that I get out alive this weekend. Um, do you know what I was reminded? When we trust God, when we obey his word, we don't have anything to be frightened by. Listen, I've not always been faithful, but God has always been faithful. And I just wanted to end in this way, singing this hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, to remind you, it can be scary, not just in marriage, but in a lot of areas of your life, to trust God, to obey him. We need to be reminded, great is his faithfulness. So let's stand together. We're gonna sing this. Pastor Bill, this first verse Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. And then we'll sing that last verse, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence. Do you realize this today as you seek to live a godly marriage, be godly husband's wife, do you know you have a heavenly Savior who's cheering you on? Thy own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousands beside. Let's, let's sing that together. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou 
Father, it is so good to hear your people singing in unison of your great faithfulness. I look around this room today and I see the faces of individuals who have trusted you in some very hard ways. Trusted you in their marriage when it wasn't easy. Trusted you with their children when it wasn't easy. Trusted you at the death of a loved one. Trusted in you in trials. Trusted you in temptation. Knowing that, oh, we've made so many mistakes. God, we can all see how we've fallen short in this area of marriage. We've let you down. And yet you've always been faithful. God, we praise you. And I pray that we would trust you every day, even in our marriages. God, if there's never one that's never trusted in you, I pray that they would bend the knee today to your Lordship, knowing that there's no greater joy than trusting Christ. Lord, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.